Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, everybody. We're the hosts of Two Weeks, One Shot, a tabletop RPG variety podcast. We play one-shot campaigns in a variety of systems. With a variety of guests from all around the TTRPG scene. And obviously, I bring a certain je ne sais quoi to every performance. I never trusted jellyfish as one of my space racism. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about how every time I run a game, you guys manage to find, like, the weirdest take you can possibly give on it. Have you accepted one of my bugs into your body so that we can communicate? Communicate telepathically. No, get your bug. No bugs in my body. First sign of trouble. Shoot it! Shoot it with the gun! <laughs> Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Two Weeks, One Shot. Are we ever going to have a serious discussion about playing furry pirates? No, 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 going to be cracking into a topic that we actually started talking about a couple of weeks ago in the natural evolution out of our sidekick episode. So we're going to be talking NPCs tonight. But before we get into that, Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening. Uh, Glenn, I'd say let's play Where is Glenn today, but it's only been a couple of days since we recorded last. So I'm assuming that you're still in Connecticut. I am still in Connecticut, but I have moved. <laughs> I was in Hopeville Pond, and now we're boondocking at Trish's parents' house. Nice. Excellent. All right. Glenn, fine. So I suppose there's a little bit of mystery to where Glenn is this week. How about you, Mr. Miller? How are things going in your particular area code of, of Connecticut? Or zip code, uh, I suppose? Probably the same area code. Yeah, we're in the same area code. My particular zip code, things are going fairly well. I've been busy, like really busy taking care of a lot of stuff, getting a bit ahead on some of the editing, doing some writing for Star Trek Adventures, checking out new podcasts to see what's out there, and trying to talk in a few other forums and getting a little bit better at Discord, reaching out to some folks on the Modifius site so I can talk a little bit more about that, and really just digging in, getting ready for Drinking and Dragons in July. I'm prepping some of that stuff, so having yeah. a great time getting yeah. ready for a lot of the tabletop adventures we're going to be having in the future. Yeah, I know the, the Games with Our Patrons, the character generation event is coming up this Saturday. To go ahead and catch up some of our new Patreons, and then the, this month's game is going to be a week or so after that, so looking forward yeah. to... That'll be a good time, as always. Left last episode on a cliffhanger. Kind of looking forward to see where you where you take the story from here, so that'll be a good time. Absolutely. All right. Let's see here. Like I said, tonight we're going to be diving into the other side of the sidekick discussion. We're going to be talking about NPCs, which if you listen to our sidekick episode, you'll remember we left us saying that sidekicks are types of NPCs, but not necessarily the same thing. And certainly not every NPC is a sidekick. So we're going to be diving more into, into NPCs specifically. And so, uh, Luanika, I want to start with you, because when we were doing our show prep there, you had really neat, clean distinctions about types of NPCs, the minor, major, and notable NPCs. I want to pick your brain a little bit about how you define those and how you shape those and what that actually means to you at the table. 
So, first of all, I want to give a lot of credit to Nate Dowdell over at Modifius and the creation of the Star Trek Adventures game and really the mechanics guy behind a lot of stuff over at Modifius. The titles, those clean titles that I came up with, come from Matt. I didn't make those up. They just fit into my thought process about this. So it was one of those things that I think I've been doing for years. Didn't have a clean title for it. Didn't have a way to really discuss it. But when I started playing that game, building characters with the with the BC Homes tool, that was one of those things that's in that tool that I saw. And then I did more reading about it in the GM's guide and elsewhere. So I thought it fit really well. And then I realized that it's actually how many GMs, not just myself, likely not just the two of you, but lots of GMs I've played with, lots of GMs I've heard play the game and I see in actual plays, they're largely doing things in this way, but they may not be purposefully thinking about it in this way. Yeah. So for the new GM, the new storyteller, the new DM, I think if you're wondering how do I construct something – how do I put it together? This works. So when we talk about NPCs, they are not filler per se. They are not bad guys, lieutenants, and minions per se, though some of those can be. But when we're actually talking about the role in the story and in the game and at the table, I think of three basic tiers of NPCs. I think of notable major, minor NPCs. To me, a major NPC is really that character that people are going to go to frequently. That's that one that they remember. In some cases, some games like Watsy's 5e has that Patreon mechanic or patron mechanic. That would be a major NPC. You go see the guy for this. In television parlance, that's Charlie from Charlie's Angel. He's a major NPC. The angels are the player characters, right? Reginald Barkley is a major NPC. Exactly. He's that one that shows up. You know, when we think major NPCs, we're talking the characters that are big. Like when they show up, they move mountains within this show. Barkley, especially when you move him into Voyager, is just that, right? The episodes he showed up in Voyager moved the plot got the Voyager crew closer to home. Janeway, as she appeared in some other, certainly in Star Trek Prodigy, the actual Admiral as opposed to the hologram Janeway, were definitely in that major NPC role. But again, they're not the player characters. The DM, sometimes they can be used for little pieces of exposition. They can be used for great interaction or catalyst for story by the storyteller, but they're not necessarily saving the day in right. that fight. That's what you're trying to avoid. A group's patron is a great example of a major NPC. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, uh, those are just another kind of reason why those rules, when they came out in Tasha's, were so great, is because it gave a lot of structure to, like you said, Luanika, like a role that a lot of us have used in our games before, that sort of benefactor to the party who can slide them some gold, slide them some stuff, slide them some missions, that kind of thing, right? Build them a retinue, all these kind of things that like that benefactor. What Tasha's did is it codified more specifically how they can be used and made the benefits more specific, which of course any homebrew storyteller is going to go ahead and take and run with anyway. But at least it gave, for folks that weren't already doing it, it gave them the inspiration to go ahead and start doing it. And so that's one of the reasons why I think that that rule in particular was so instrumental when it came out in Tasha's and really important to the game. It also went so far as to make the faction as a whole its own kind of notable NPC because while they largely built that or couched that in the have somebody in charge of the faction and the players are part of the faction, they go to the Patreon or whatever, didn't necessarily have to be that. It could be you're a C if you're playing in a, in some kind of modern game, you're just a CIA operative. You're going to the CIA to do this. You're calling your handler. All right. So we were talking about patrons from specifically from Tasha's and how that suited up the benefactor role that a lot of us used. What other kind of notable, like big name NPCs have you guys used at your table? What, how else do you use that really important NPC that you've drawn up? 
And what's the process also for you guys for generating them? Are they NPCs that you draw up in advance and to go ahead and specifically trot out? Or are they more things that you come up with on the fly and situationally? So my answer to that would just really be, it depends. And I got, I've got a few more pieces to that. But in terms of trying to decide which NPCs are going to become important, if I didn't design them for a specific role, it goes back to sidekicks, though with a little less emotional attachment. It's not so much the the NPCs the characters have bonded with and are emotionally invested with. It steps back a little bit from that, and it's which NPCs have the characters enjoyed interacting with, laughed with, had a good time, especially if they mention them again or look for them. Uh, Some of your NPCs are going to grow that way. Honestly, some of your best NPCs are going to grow that way because your characters are going to help define them as they go based on what they like and then or dislike in the way that they interact with them. Those are going to become some of your most rich NPCs. But for planning them out, it could be anything from the constable in the town that they're in because they're going to interact with him regularly or the local priest because they're going to interact with him regularly. And if there's any kind of religious bent in that direction, it could make him important enough. Or sometimes it's one of my favorite constructs is an important NPC. His name is Augustus. Basically, he is a cleric of the grave, Asimar, whose deity or higher power, the person guiding him, literally sends him around the world, resurrecting people that weren't supposed to die in order to advance their causes. Wow, that's really cool. That's a, that's, that was invented. Originally, when in his very first game, I killed my son in his very first major boss at the boss fight at the end of the dungeon. So they're like second level and a dude's dead. And what do you do? Nobody's got money for resurrection. Um, They were all important. And in the campaign, they were like the lore behind it is they didn't know it yet. They didn't understand how, but they were fated. So because their fate was important, a deity or power of fate influences augustus and he travels the world they could run into him again it may not be to resurrect them it might be to resurrect someone else but that's the thing once i invented him once they liked him and he became not just planned but then they interacted with him i will make sure he appears again even if it's they see him wandering a battlefield that they're near and holding out his hand until he pauses for a moment and he kneels down and prays and brings somebody back to life. Even if it's just that, and then a quick conversation and he disappears again, because uh, he's a MacGuffin for me, and I really like the idea and the way that because he works with fate, there's a lot of like mysterious prophecy things you can do with fate. He can be a wild card to influence the plot. That's like a whole mouthful roundabout answer, but there you go. Yeah. I think that one of the things that struck me about the super narrative style of storytelling a Star Trek game was how you can spin up NPCs. And kind of like you said, you're not really sure kind of what level they're going to be. But I'm thinking back to to the episode that's airing or is by the point that this episode comes out we'll have just finished airing the very first episode on the station where they had like the whole like the whole mystery thing going on with what was going on with the accident with the subspace stuff and i don't want to spoil too much in case people haven't listened to it but basically there are there were situations where there were pre-planned npcs that had interactions with the characters and i think it's still left to be seen whether any of those npcs will become like original barkley where they come back over and over again there's already plans for one of them to go ahead and make another appearance but then you had other ones like when you guys were in the reception room there and and Tobor decided to go ahead and pull the senior staff into a conference room to go ahead and discuss what was going on. There yeah. was lowly security ensign who Tobor basically said, yeah, keep an eye on the party here, make sure it doesn't get too out of hand. And who, when the party got out of hand, was the one to go ahead and message into the conference room with the senior staff saying, things are getting out of hand, I need some help here, kind right. of thing. So like that lowly ensign, I don't even remember what that ensign's name was. Probably not a recurring NPC. I'm not even sure that he's Thomas. made the ship staff. Yeah, Ensign Thomas. Thank you. Ensign yeah. Thomas. Yeah. 
She has a full name and a character sheet now. <laughs> Excellent. So there you go. See, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's ever going to appear again, right? That's like he right. made Ensign Thomas. I would, made I would make a note of Ensign Thomas and what he did. I wouldn't make the full character sheet until I was certain he had a role to reappear in. But exactly like that. Exactly yeah. like that. That's my point. You drive yourself too, crazy that, with you know, too much prep with yeah. NPCs, he, just as much as you can with everything else. But Lee Wanika does prep to a level of perfectionism that is impressive. <laughs> I will say this: Star Trek and. Adventures as a storyteller satisfies my ability and need. Let me rephrase that in merit order. My need and ability to plan because it's more of a need than an ability necessarily. <laughs> I'll be honest. We're among friends, you, the two of you and our audience. Good um, self, that's some good self-reflection, Lewanika. Thank you. Proud. I'm working on that. good work today. I'm working, on, I'm working on me. But what Star Trek Adventures does, because they have built into the mechanics of the game, this tiered system of notable major and minor is, mm-hmm. I basically took the name that Josh utilized in the game when I was editing. It's one of the things I do when I edit the episodes that I'm not running is I'm listening for those types of things. Did Josh mention a character that I'm not aware of that might come up if a player asks me? So when that was happening, I'm like, okay, so we've got Ensign Thomas. I don't believe Josh gendered the character during the conversation. So I actually decided to make the Ensign a female for no particular reason other than my name generator happened to be on female human names. And so I picked made the character a female. But with Star Trek Adventures, because their minor NPCs are exceptionally quick, like I literally had to put in the role that they were playing, the fact that they were a Starfleet, and like one other factor, and it popped up a quarter sheet that has very little detail other than the name. It pre-generated some stats, and that so it was done. It was literally f- four clicks and me retyping the name that we wrote for the character versus the name that auto-populated when you select random minor NPC. Right. Done. And that I find mechanically as a storyteller very impressive it's a little harder to do that for a standard high fantasy game in any of the other systems that we play or are playing or planning on playing in soon but not entirely impossible i could random generate stats and just say here's the name that goes on it i need a i need a bartender i need a stable person i need a seneschal I need a corporal of the guard, not the captain, not the sergeant, but I just need the corporal. Has the same stats as any other guard, but this is the one that actually gets some speaking lines in a scene. So when your characters go up and meet the town guard and and a leader isn't with the town guard, Corporal Johan is is always there, right? He's the guy that's there. He gets to know the party. I don't need anything more than to put a name on the standard stat block. And because he's talked a lot, I might actually up the charisma on that character by one point or maybe two points if the interaction with the party went really well and they really like this person. But essentially, it's put something up, set it there, make a little note so that if they're ever back in that part of town again, you've got somebody that they, that, that can do that. That yeah. character can also be very instrumental if the players screw up because now Corporal Johan is, I thought you were the good guys yeah. and this is what you did. Yeah. Look, I really liked you guys. But I can't have this in my town. Yeah. I can't have yeah. this in my town. I'm going to pretend I didn't see you, but you got to go now. You'll yeah. still be wanted, but the least I can do, the most I can do for you right now is let you go. Yeah. Fade to black. That is how you can take a minor NPC and really make them pretty impressive. Not a whole lot of effort to create it, but just a couple interactions with the party. The party has done something awful. That's going to hold some sway or some merit with your player characters. As long as you, the storyteller remembers Corporal Johan. And your ability, Lee Wanika, as a storyteller to bring NPCs from the the past that seemed minor but then have them reoccur in an impactful way is on point. I do have to say, you do a great job. And the game that I played in as your favorite bard that wasn't Revelry (laughs) with you, the party even, and I wasn't there for the first scene, but the party even while I was playing with him was talking about how the one of the crucial NPC bad guys or good guys, I actually don't remember which, was actually present in the very, very first scene of the game 
and then never mentioned again until found later and things like that. You're excellent at that. But you were talking about ways to spin up characters really quick with, and how like Star Trek Adventures is designed that way, but it can get a little bit harder in the fantasy, the high fantasy genre, regardless of your game. But I just wanted to touch on that really quick because especially when you're trying to spin an NPC up on the fly uh, or even on the real quick because you see which direction they're going. There are, so, there are some definitely some tips that we could throw out there to help people with. It's something that I've been working on for a little bit now. And the whole idea behind it is it's just like the roles and things you fill out for an STA. Yep. Additional character, but it's designed more in the fan. It, it's actually generic. You could use it for any game system. And it's have a template ready. And it doesn't mean it doesn't actually have to be a sheet you fill out on a little tear-off pad or anything. But decide what's important to you to help you portray an NPC, the little bits that you need to help them come to life, and have it right there on your DM screen. One of the ones I've been working with recently is name, obviously, and I keep fantasy name generators up. If you're playing in modern games, by the way, there is a whole section of races by region and nation, so you can fill your world with names of all diverse cultures so name is important but there's lots of tools to help you with that because it's one of the hardest things appearance and when i do appearance it's keeping it in your head what you want i'm not talking about a full in-depth description down to their boots and the color of their buttons and buckles and toggles but just something short and brief but still something distinctive it could be that he's a tall thin man with thin hair that's too much thin, but something distinctive to make him stand out. Come up with some kind of feature. It could be that the bartender's constantly washing their mugs, although that's getting into ticker mannerisms. A ticker or mannerism to try to bring them to life. A general motivation or attitude, if there's something they're specifically working for or if they're just a shitty person. And specifically attitude towards players. And it's only five things. But with those five things, if in a matter of seconds keeping other materials handy like fantasy name generator to help with names. And you can even create your own lists or roll tables to give you ideas for each one. But if I can quickly nail down those five points, I can portray the character from there. Make notes on anything else you develop as you go to do exactly what Lee Wanika does, which is plan their future recurrence. But for on the fly, you really only need to base a couple of things. You need a description that's at least, if you think they're going to be important at all, somewhat memorable. You need a name. And then you need how they act, ticks, mannerisms, and their attitude. Yeah, You don't need a stat block to, to float somebody who's not going to draw swords and swing. You're absolutely correct. And I didn't want to give that impression. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Glenn. I use a lot of those same things when I talk about a character and I am taking those notes. Like you said, the appearance, the tone, the cadence and the voice. That's what I do so I can remember whatever voice or way of speaking because I do less voices, but I do more changes of cadence. And like I don't do accents or many of them very well, but I am particularly good at changing the cadence of the way my NPCs speak because I do think that's a good way to express not to the interrupt you, Lee, in characters. Talking about like cadence and how NPCs speak and everything like that, I am drawn back to the old woman when in Arch Enemies, when you guys were in Omshire, the old woman that fell head over heels in love with Simeon, like on first sight, who had that that like Liverpudlian harsh. I won't even try to do it right now because it's definitely something I need to warm up to. But just like how that single voice summed up everything about that character that everybody needed to know, and, and including the, just how like how head over heels in love she was with Simeon, just on on face value. Whenever I think about like accents and how like a single way of speaking and a single dialect and like cadence and everything like that, how that summed up that character more than I didn't need to know. I didn't need to say what she looked like. I didn't need to go ahead and say anything else about her. That voice was just enough. And yeah, yeah. we saw every wart. We saw the patches <laughs> in her dress that exposed the under the underskirt. We yeah. saw the grub on the one half uh, hobo glove that she was wearing. <laughs> all, all of that. 
and it never had to be described. And the reason is the voice did all the heavy lifting. If I were to give one piece of advice <laughs> when you're working on a minor NPC, the first time they appear, don't put too much into any one of these things. And we're going to get to more right. later on, but a little bit goes a long way one time. The next time you see them, remind them of the other stuff in the way you portray the character, but add another layer. If you're building your NPCs level to le between these levels or tiers or however you want to describe what we're talking about here, the idea is add a little bit more. Every one of these is built upon what came before with a little bit more depth. And it might just be another thing the players notice. You've talked to this person three or four times over the past several sessions, but now you're noticing this because they're a little bit more comfortable. They lean in when they talk to you. They're a little lighter or whatever. They pour your drinks a little heavier. These are little things that you can add with each interaction. So they don't get as much the first time, but they get a little bit more each, uh, each subsequent time. Especially if it's a recurring character that's gonna that's holding an important role. That's a really great way for your characters to get to know your NPCs and yeah. really develop that connection with them. And for you, so storyteller, to get to know them. Because you yeah. don't have to do all that all at once and then remember it all. You literally build on what you've already got. Yeah, you just layer. So the question is that I think that how we're defining minor NPCs and how we're defining notable NPCs makes a lot of sense. Notable are the structural fabric NPCs. They're going to be recurring. They're going to be they're going to be important to the party in a way that sidekicks can be, but in a in kind of that other sphere. And minor NPCs, the ones that just spin up <clears throat> because the party needed a security ensign to go ahead and watch over the party. Ensign Thomas didn't exist until that moment in time, and Ensign Thomas may not exist anymore. Who knows? But So the minor NPCs and the notable NPCs, those two make sense to me. Where do you think the line between a minor and a major and a notable NPC, like what is a major NPC in that context, on that, spe on that spectrum? So they're Other like minor, captains? of note, and big and important major. major. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right. All right. So then what takes an NPC from being minor and make to make them notable then? Or is now the corporal of the guard that you were talking about before, are they really a notable NPC? They're not a minor NPC that you just spun up. Now they have stats. Now they have speaking role. Now they're notable. So I think the key is while they're minor, they're probably just the base thing and you talk about them. They have their own name and you keep coming back to them. But at the point the PCs come to that section of town, that neighborhood, and they ask for Johan. When they go to the captain of the guard, hey, where's Johan? I wanted to talk to him. Or when a player character going somewhere is, hey, I want to send some money back to Johan because he really hooked us up back there or what have you. I think that's at that point where Johan now has been in a couple combat encounters or maybe joined them on an exploration encounter or two. That's where it's okay. Now I pretty much have to have stats. If you've had to roll dice for something that wasn't in that really basic generic, we have a couple notes on it, set up what skills does Johan has? If your player characters are saying, hey, Johan, you're killing time. Your players are in jail, right? They got busted. They're sitting in the clink. And Johan's the jailer that night. And he's like, man, I can't let you out of here, but at least I'll make sure you get good food. Like all the rat food goes to somebody else. You guys are okay. They're like, hey, Johan, do you play Dragon Chess or do you play Dragon Annie? Or hey, what's your favorite drink or whatever? Next time when we get out of here, next time we're at the bar, I'll buy you a drink. And then they remember Johan and they do that. I think at that point, that's when they move into being notable. I think it's when they go back to it and it's the players generating that connection or that interaction versus you, the storyteller, saying, and when you enter uh, the room, Johan is there. When the players start looking for the character specifically, that's when. In our STA game, I think a great example of that is you introduced this ship that Captain T Tobor used to be on yeah. uh, and his character, when I was running the next month with, with that player, he, one of his questions is, Hey, is my friend around while right. we were still on the station? I'm like, no, cause I hadn't at that point gotten to edit <laughs> your episode. So I hadn't yeah, yeah, had yeah. all of the details I needed to run that. So I gave the quick note there. They shipped out for a brief mission, but they plan to be back and they'll meet you soon. I think those are the, when the players start looking for those characters, that's when it moves into that notable range. Interesting. So I would definitely agree that the characters generate some of that movement and they actually, unless you plan it that way, cause you can plan a notable, 
whether the characters are that into them or not, anybody that they're going to regularly interact with. And before we talk about how the players can help someone evolve from one category to the next, starting at that minor level, any a minor character to me is anyone who's designed for a one-shot or a possibly two or th- two brief appearances, but then they may or may not ever show up again, depending on whether or not the players or the plot call for it. That's a minor, right? Yep. A notable is someone that the characters are going to interact with on a regular basis, but don't hold specifically great power or whether it be social power, combative power, magic power, etc. Like from minor up to peer level. And then once you get into that major one, which we haven't really gotten to yet, you're talking about the big people like Elminster and what and whatnot. But that middle level could be in a whole bunch of people. It could be a notable, could just be, could be the, the clerk at the local provisioner shop that the, in the town the party's based out of. They're going to wind up going to the store because everybody, at least one player at every party in the entire world, wants to go shopping. It's a fact. So that guy's probably going to become a notable, whether he's fantastic or not. He could be fantastically annoying like some of the characters Lewanika has come up with us for us. <laughs> Thank you. The, uh, that assistant that welcome. we had when I was, when we were playing Bodhi in that other game, the sniveling assistant that we had was fantastic and we couldn't get rid of him, but he was so annoying and I wanted to kill him <laughs> and no one was looking. That can make an NPC great too. But regular interaction is what makes them notable. The fact that the NPC, the characters, whether it's by choice and love or just by exposure and repetition will remember who they are. Yep. So I'm thinking again, so I, I, I love discussions like this when we start really cracking apart how we're viewing these things, because I think that players and storytellers alike can create or interact with minor NPCs, but maybe a notable NPC is one that's more important to the party. And maybe that's where eventually sidekicks are born from is like once an NPC goes into notable starts becoming more important mm-hmm. to the party starts becoming of note. eventually they're the ones that eventually go into sidekicks where if it goes the storyteller driven path where think about in in the real thing when we played the real thing right there are all those other party goers that were there right the sorceress and the scientist and everything like they were storyteller driven NPCs. They were major NPCs. They were structural to the plot. They were in effect plot elements that were being trotted out versus like other people that we met at the bar. Like when we met Brenda at the bar, right. And, and Aristotle was trying to get in with her and try to figure out what was going on and everything like that. My interaction with her at the bar made her notable, but she was not necessarily structural to the plot. So she wasn't major. So it's less of a progression from minor notable major it's more like miners where they all start and then there's two roads diverge in the yellow wood took the one that's traveled by i go off to notable storytellers go off to major that kind yeah. of thing well, that's and, very that's very interesting the, the fact that they have two ways to evolve or devolve that there's two paths there storyteller driven and player driven i love the way you said that because that's a hundred percent how an npc evolves or devolves and i say devolve because i wanted to point out that they can go backwards i could design an npc that i think is the coolest cat in the entire world and they hate him <laughs> yeah so yeah. he's gonna move down the wrong they never right? deal with him again yeah, exactly yeah or worse than they hate him they just could care less and never remember him fair if they I hate mean, him that's like, a reaction like, that's passion like, as long as they're passionate about that character like i yeah that is more what i meant thank you for the clarification yeah, i think it, as long as they're passionate whether it's love trust distrust, hate, humor, whatever their passion is for that character, that is what elevates a character from minor to notable, is the players, the PCs, or the parties interaction and love of that player characters families and elements from their backstories will likely fall into that range if they revisit them often they could be really minor a player character who might have five or six family members there's really the only one brother or sister that they interact with on a normal basis but they might have the kid brother that whenever they roll into town brings brings them sweetbreads and potatoes mm. and he loves him he tosses his hair and he says that every time but there's not really a lot of interaction i think it's the player's passion that really 
makes a character an NPC from minor, moves them into notable, keeps them as notable, or maybe in some cases moves them down. I, I also think it's at that point where the storyteller looks. If you've got, if you as a storyteller have built a major NPC, the burgermeister of the town, the mayor of the town, or the lord of that county, and the player characters really could care less about him. He's just the dude. They don't care, but they really dug his youngest son and really leaned into that person. That's where the storyteller can say, you know what, that younger son who has been a notable character for the last bunch of sessions or the last arc in this campaign, I'm going to ace his father. I'm going to give that character some pathos and I'm going to make that notable NPC the quest giver now. Now they're the lord of the county. And now the players are dealing with him. Now they have made a good friendship with him or if they screwed up and mistreated that notable NPC at some point as a storyteller, I would still do the exact same action because now they may have had a decent relationship with his father, but they didn't really interact with him, didn't care about him, but they were too busy picking on the son. And now the son is in charge. And now the son remembers that they were picked on. So now the son is out there hiring bad guys or adversaries to go out there and deal with this party that he doesn't like. So I think that elevation from notable to major really comes again to the storyteller, to the GM, to the DM based on the passions that the players have shown the NPCs within your campaign world and how that impacts your overall plot. If it doesn't impact your plot, keep it on that B roll, keep it on that level where it just adds extra color and flavor. But if one of those moves is going to impact your plot or move your story forward or alter the trajectory of your story, that's okay too. Tons of television shows have been altered because a cast member decides to leave a show for whatever reason and a character who was received really well gets elevated to a better position within the story and now that has changed the nature of the story. Be open to those things. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so you branched into the majors and I agree with everything you said, but in terms of classifying them, I just wanted to throw my personal thoughts slash clarification onto it since we're moving up to the major leagues now. <laughs> and some of it actually developed during this conversation, so thank you both very much. Sidekicks are major NPCs. The reason that they're major NPCs is because of the character's emotional and personal attachment to them, right? And they run around with them and do things with them on the regular. But there are more people in a character's life that they're emotionally attached to and seriously invested or passionate about, whether it's good attachment or bad attachment, love or hate. Your major NPCs are either attached to the characters in a passionate and connected way, like the sidekick, but not the dude who runs around with them, whether they're, here, whether they're a mentor or a brother or the big bad and they've got some kind of personal relationship going on where they've made it personal because your big bad can just be a notable until it becomes personal. And I think that's important to realize. I think that the only thing that makes a major NPC is player commitment. I can design the guy to be a major NPC, my big overarching bad guy for an entire campaign season. But if I never make the character struggle against him personal, he's just going to be, that guy at the top of the pyramid, he's not going to matter. He won't be major until the players have a reason to personally be invested in him. And that's what yeah. makes a major NPC. Interesting. Did you know you could have been listening to this episode two days ago? That's right, because early access to our episodes is only one of the benefits that we offer to our Patreon subscribers. You can get early access to every show, exclusive content, and the opportunity to throw dice with your favorite hosts every month. Right now, we're running a membership drive through the end of November for our first anniversary. If we reach 20 subscribers by that date, we will start a regular live show. And when we get to 25 subscribers, we're going to open our tables for a second Patreon-exclusive game. So if the actual play episodes aren't your thing, you can still join your hosts on the download. For more details, go check www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys, where you can subscribe for as little as $1 a month, and thank you for enjoying the show. I think it was on Twitter that somebody had commented that in 
like for the last several years, every time that they sit down at a new table with a, as specifically with a new DM, if they've never played with this DM before, but anytime that they sit down on a new table for a new game, that they will try to steer the party to kill the first notable NPC that the storyteller throws at them because he thinks he has found that making the storyteller improv through that and figure out how to reconcile the plot that they've come up with that curveball thrown at them inevitably makes for a better game. It's just, it's something about the magic of it at that moment that, that just, it just spices it up in such a way that it think it shakes things out. And I think that's a very interesting idea because I think that, I think in general, outside of the conversation about NPCs, but when storytellers start a new campaign, sometimes it can become very stratified, right? It's like, we're starting a new campaign. I have all these things that I need to go ahead and do to establish the tone and establish the feeling of the game and everything like that. And I need to go ahead and lay out the plot and everything like that. And I, reading their tweet, reading the tweet at first, I was like, oh my God, that is awful. How could you possibly do that? And then I was like, man, but what would I do? If that had happened, what would I have done in Star Trek Adventures if in the very first session, in the very first meeting with Commandant Pritchard, if one of them had decided that they were just going to take him out, just be done with him, like court martial them and send them to prison? Exactly right. But then major NPC is now gone. What? How, what kind of power vacuum does that create in the game? And that's so it's like when you start thinking through those permutations, it becomes very interesting to think about how that would work. Yeah, sure, absolutely. That player would no longer be playable. You're absolutely correct. And what does that do to the game? And so it's a really interesting right. kind of thought experiment. Yeah. It is an interesting thought experiment, but I only like it as a thought experiment. And, <laughs> I wouldn't, uh, my players the reason is because that, yeah. <laughs> that's a player's reaction to poor storytelling. Where they've had a storyteller who, like we all do, I don't mean that as a, a, to cast shade, just if you realize you're doing it, start taking action to correct. Where they're constantly either railroading or pinning the whole campaign on the first notable NPC. And it makes sense because you sit down to play, the first person you meet, don't do that. Yeah. Don't immediately launch them directly into your first. Have a preamble, have an opening scene. Give them something besides here's your quest giver. That's where that's coming from. But the reaction from the player to do that in the game, I personally think that's adversarial against the storyteller. It's designed to f with them and try to derail the game because they want to shake it up and make it more interesting. So they don't want to derail to end or to just to cause chaos randomly. They're hoping that something fantastic will come out of it. But to take random deliberate action against the storyteller's story just for the sake of disrupting it, that's adversarial play, and that's not something I want at my table. Yep. Yeah. I want to follow Glenn on that one. I think when I look back at the way I've story told and GM'd over many years, I got into really good habits early on. I got into really bad habits at some point in the early middle, and it took me a while to come back and correct those. And a lot of the coming back from correcting was playing more than I ran for a period of time when I first moved to Maine, and I played a lot more than I ran for the first couple of years. But right before then, I had run a couple of games that went famously bad. I remember having a couple of my players... I needed them to go across this bridge and do this thing and go into the store, and the players just weren't down for it. They didn't want to do that. And despite the fact that I knew how to run a sandbox game, I had done so before, I was hell-bent and focused on all the cool stuff is behind that door. We've all been there. <laughs> I, as a storyteller, was focused on all my putting all my cool stuff there that I neglected the entire rest of the adventure and the story arc up to that point, to the point where they didn't give a where they went. They were done with this <laughs> game, and I didn't yeah. see it. And because of that, they're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go that way. And I'm like, and I literally said, so this is me calling myself out. I literally said, you have to, because that's the only thing I wrote for the game. Yeah. And they said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump off the bridge. And they jumped off the bridge and I'm like, and it's a portal and you land back on the bridge. He's like, I'm going to keep jumping. And the other guy said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to jump and steer myself so I don't land on the bridge and I'll keep jumping until I starve to death. And I'm like, I guess we're done playing today. And that was the end of that campaign. And that's and a devolved spiral of adversarial play. <laughs> I had a thing I wanted to do. They didn't want to do that. And nobody was meeting anywhere in the middle. And I think. Even after we learn these lessons, 
we may have to then remind ourselves and still work on it later because it does happen. Regularly, things that I've taught myself in the past were a bad idea. I've brought back up. It's happened to all of us, to include Lee Wanika when he suddenly had a guy decide to build a raft and paddle out away from the island in the middle of combat. It happens. (laughs) I thought, and and too much to my chagrin, thought, hey, I covered this in the session zero at the time watching the show Prison Break. I'm like, I really want to do a whole Prison Break campaign. So I literally said in the session zero, for at least the first eight to ten sessions, Nobody's escaping, but I want you to work and build the things you'll need to be able to escape so you can really live this prison break fantasy. Two things that were the wrong of that. I never asked, has anybody seen prison break? Does anybody like prison break? Is anybody, I did ask if you're down to play a prison break game. And so I did largely get yeses, but I wasn't paying attention to the vehemence and the understanding of what I thought of as a prison break game. Because what they were thinking is, I do everything I can to get out right away. I was thinking, this is the game. And because we never met on that, it made for a terrible game, despite all the cool things that were built into it. And that was, that's something that we had to learn. It it was a great game. That one, we were just hung up on plot. It was... It was written like a TV show, and we weren't necessarily following the TV show, so it didn't really work out. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, no, I think that's a very good discussion about this because a couple of things that came in, and I'm going to circle us back to NPCs here. One of the main problems with that is I had built an NPC group of bad guys that were basically they were teams or units of prisoners. And we hated them. <laughs> the ones that were think, supposed to be our allies, we hated yeah, them. Think similar to Andor, where you have the different <sighs> table groups. And yep. for whatever reason, Great show. I played these guys in such a way that the players did not want to work with them in any way. Mm-hmm. And no matter what I did to try to fix that, even after I knew that had gone wrong, I couldn't fix it. So did I, as a storyteller, think – Tell you what, the next time there's a game or whatever or something that the uh, people controlling the prison do, very Squid Games like probably 15 years before Squid Games came out, actually. Did I kill the group of players that I had, of NPCs that I originally set up to be their allies and then replace them with people that the party might actually like? No. I wrote the NPCs I absolutely wanted and I was going to stick with them. And between those plot differentials that we were not in sync on, NPCs that they didn't particularly care for that were effectively the gatekeepers for the game and the escape. Like if they didn't work with them, there was not a way to escape. And I was not good at that time of building multiple vectors to proceed. Like I literally had things locked behind skill checks or behind interactions, right? This was years and years ago. This is how I learned those lessons was a failure in the way I structured a group of NPCs executed a group of NPCs and did not recognize what was going wrong, back out of them and get somebody else in that role. The role, the lore, the space could have been filled with anybody. When the ones there didn't work, I didn't cut bait. I was fishing with dead bait and nobody was biting. Yeah, if you run that scenario again, you could have a couple of different groups within the inmates that are in the common area and see which ones they gravitate to would be a good way to to help build that bond for anybody out there running something like that, as opposed to writing one that you think is super cool, but then your PCs don't bond and then, oh shit, what do I do? I believe I only had them. I think it was just the two groups, if I recall correctly. And if there was more, I wrote them so badly that I don't even remember them at this point. So I think we have stumbled into something that I wanted to go ahead and get into tonight, and we can go ahead and take it for the last 10 minutes of the show or so here, is that we wanted to talk about NPC, like how to use NPCs and how to craft NPCs and how to throw them in front of your uh, front of your players, tips and tricks or uh, actionable intel and pitfalls to avoid as you're doing it. So obviously, uh, Liwanika, what you're talking about there with the group of NPCs, which side of the aisle do you think that falls on? Do you think your, your decision to stick with those NPCs instead of scrapping them and going with something that made Joe with the party better was a benefit or was that a pitfall that should be avoided? Oh, absolutely a pitfall. I think a key thing that's important for storytellers is don't fall too in love with your NPCs that you're blinded to their effectiveness in the role you've created for them. Remember, this is a game for your players and you 
So you do have to enjoy every NPC you create. Definitely. And it's so easy to do. Right. But don't be so enamored with these NPCs that their survival, existence, exoneration, glorification, it becomes your focus. Part of that falls into don't make DMPCs, but a lot of it is more, it is less about that and more about just don't be so locked into these NPCs that you're creating that you forget the fact that there is a bunch of players in this game. They have to be the stars. That's where that went wrong. I had basically taken player characters that I used to run, made them NPCs in this game, and wanted to see them go through their their story arcs through this game. I was largely doing DMPCs, and that did not work. I used those same characters later on in a different game I ran in that same game world, because we basically said, this game's over, everybody escapes. And I used those characters later on in a different game I ran, and they were actually very well loved by that party. They were they became part of the fabric of that game. I, one, did not introduce them all at once. I, two, did piece at a time. Uh, one of the characters had a very close interaction with one of them and was introduced to the others one or two at a time. They came in some way to help the party individually. And then before they were actually known to the party as an entire group, and it was a much better way. So I told them out in pieces as opposed to, here's this group that's really tight-knit, and you need to love them. Just don't do that. <laughs> build, it in, right. build it in and let your players yeah. build that well, relationship piece at a time. To be fair, in that game, I was playing a crazy who had six personalities. So I was hard to please. Yeah. Maybe that's the next episode that we have to go ahead and talk about is how to structure proper player characters right now. That's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> When playing Palladium, uh, don't do crazies. Yeah. I jest. They're perfectly yeah. fine characters, but GMs, please, if you're in a Palladium game, understand what you're asking for. Oh, it was so much fun. I, I wrote six different character personalities, and per- I have to, I'm sorry, I have to sidetrack for a second. Yeah, no, no. Uh, and set it up so that every time he lost consciousness, I had to roll a d6 to see who he woke up as. Nice. It, it was a lot of fun. He had a guy who was who talked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He had a Jap- <laughs> Japanese samurai who thought he spoke Japanese but didn't. Uh, those are great. Fantastic those because we had a character in the game scenes. who did speak Japanese. His character did. So I would fail to speak Japanese out loud, and then Wolfgang would spit out some kind of a translation for people randomly. I did not set this up. <laughs> he amazing. just started doing it. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I digress. One of the things that you were talking about was talking about not DMPCing, right? Not trying to not trying to play in the game that you're running. Realizing that your NPCs are just that. They are non-player characters. You can't that that is unfortunately the burden that we bear as storytellers, right? We don't get to play in the game. Our enjoyment comes from setting the table, not from eating the meal. Uh, let me see if I can take this on for you. So I specifically yeah. was trying to, these are characters I played for a short time in a couple other games that ended for whatever reason. I think those were actually ended because of moving, not because the game failed in any way. But I love the characters and I wanted to see these characters go. I played a couple different characters in that game and I wanted to see them go. I actually translated them from Indy 3.5 into Palladium palladium fantasy and then i said if they were in a fantasy world and got dumped into riffs and they were in riffs for 10 years what were the skills they had picked up and so then i basically made them riffs characters with a fantasy bent in 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 that world and built them in that fashion but i wanted to play out their story arcs because they originally started as a mercenary bad guy group and I wanted to play out the arc where they became good guys. And so when they were captured, went through this experience, this was in my head, this is part of their redemption cycle. The problem is I should never have been doing that. If I wanted to play that, I should have said, hey, Glenn, I really want to play this. Can you just run me in a solo game where I play these five characters? That's what I should have done. And by making these characters, they were great characters for the game because they had all the right skills for what needed to be done. But by me trying to play my characters, I was literally not allowing the players to play their characters. That's the lesson I had to learn. And despite the fact I've played numbers, hundreds of NPCs to that point, I'd never found myself in that position before. And I think it's probably because that was the first group of characters that I ever felt I didn't satisfactorily play them out. And I was so upset about not getting to play them out. This was the first opportunity I had to play them again. And I did that wrong. 
that yeah. was that's where that failure on my part was. That's the lesson I learned. When I used them the second time, I said it's not about their arc, it's about the player character's arc. I can display an arc for these guys, but they cannot be the focus. And that's really where it went from a pitfall into yeah. a strength. I would. Uh, that's where you stop doing a DM NPC and you're playing a notable NPC that works well. That also speaks directly to the concept of your players have to buy into your NPCs before they're ever important. Absolutely. Storytellers and GMs especially, and I'm calling to all of you who are forever GMs, find ways to get to play. I truly and honestly believe the length of time that I went without playing, but only running and running multiple games led me to the need to have to do a DMPC. My need to do a DMPC, that urge shrinks the more frequently I play as well as run. So now that I have a good balance of playing and running, I have less need to make a DMPC. You gotta so, feed that you gotta feed yeah. that I wanna be the hero monkey occasionally. Yeah. And for players out there who've dealt with DMs who have too many DMPCs, let me tell you how to fix that. Pick up the screen. Like run right. them yeah. for a little bit. That will cure that yep. problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because really I think that's probably the best piece of like actionable intel that I can give a storyteller is you can't get too attached to your NPCs. You have to realize the job that your NPCs are meant to fill. And the job that the NPCs are meant to fill is is structural, right? It's to help move along the plot. It's to fill in the gaps that the players leave as they're off saving the world, right? There it's Again, it's the security engine that needs to go ahead and camp out. It's the it's the woman in the street that needed a little bit of comedic effect to go ahead and keep Simeon from going down one way. What again? You talk about railroading players, right? The whole reason why that woman existed is because you guys were going right at an intersection, and I needed you to go left. That's the entire reason why she was there was just to go ahead and keep you guys from going there. Because I knew Josh knew he could get into Lewanika's head on that one and create a funny thing in 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 game to go ahead and keep the party where they needed to be going. And so- all you had to do was plan all your turns to the left with Simeon. Exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> he he declared it the first, like yeah. the, one yeah, yeah. of the first sessions. Yeah. You don't even have to think that one through. Just plan all the interesting <laughs> stuff to the left, and you're good. Exactly. Exactly. My wife and I, to this day, when we go hiking and we approach a loop, we say, "Okay, we're we going Simeon or anti-Simeon." We still do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's you, amazing. That is the greatest advice that DC Comics. Uh, second, uh, is the greatest advice DC Comics ever gave me. The second greatest advice was how to escape handcuffs. Oddly, same characters, by the way, but or <laughs> same character, Nightwing, in both cases. Oddly, um, he's used both skills. Yeah. <laughs> Tonight. Yeah. All right. So I, I think that pretty much brings our man. We are all in a rare form tonight. If you guys had, li- if you guys had been able to listen to our pre-show, uh, I think you'd think yeah. Yeah. yeah, we started recording this about yeah. 30 minutes later than we planned to, because we were just shooting the shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, all that to go ahead and say, I think that, uh, that we have rounded out our episode for this evening. So let's take a look and see what we got coming up on the show next week. Next week, we have got the awesome interview with longtime friend of the show and probably the first person out there that I would say earned the moniker of friend of the show, uh, Sean McRoberts, who did the theme music for the front and the back end of the show. And oh, right. yeah, he, he did the theme, theme song for Star Trek Preservations. That's right. I really um, like the Star Trek theme song, by the way. So I think it's hot. You just get that from being a backer on his Patreon. A lot of the music that we use in our actual plays comes from Sean because the stuff that he writes is so freaking good. It is so freaking good. We're bringing him in for an interview to talk about making and using and what's the best way to implement soundtracks in your game and kind of how can that be used. We'll be recording that interview next week. I am really looking forward to that one. So I think that's going to be a good time. And then on top of that, uh, this coming Tuesday begins the next session of Star Trek Preservations. The the, the first episode, The Labyrinth's Edge, has ended. And Luminica, I don't even remember. What did you name your first episode? I believe it was Sword to Plowshares. Sword to Plowshares. Yes, exactly. Right. Pretty so, sure that's Sword to right. Plowshares begins, begins this coming Tuesday. Anyway. Good time as always, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. I'm really looking forward to your feedback on this episode. Some great feedback been flying back around. I'm really happy to see that. Thanks for your comments. Give us your best of and worst of experiences with NPCs, both from a DM, GM running it, and from a player interacting with it. What are the things that you've loved? What are the things that have really got under your collar and got on your nerves? All of it's instructive. 
all of it's good, and I just mm. really want this conversation to continue. But throw um, us your pro tips and pitfalls, too, which yeah. is a new way to say that. I just yeah, coined that. Pro tips have. and pitfalls. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. All right, everybody. That's our show for tonight. So until then, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you then. Good, good night, night, all. Later. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday. And every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Await. <laughs>